You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Sutton. I'm with the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Thank you for joining me today and our session. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We have uh, a great topic ahead of us, and it is NASM's Optimum Performance Training Model, or OPT model, and we're going to discuss new guidelines and protocols. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm anxious to, uh, to have this presentation with you and share everything that we've done. So again, my name is Brian Sutton. Uh, I've been with the National Academy of Sports Medicine since 2004, um, working in many different fields, but uh, mostly in product development. So I help oversee the creation of many of our certification and continuing education courses here at NASM. So the certified personal trainer, um, certified nutrition coach, and all the other uh, wonderful programs that uh, that we develop here at NASM. I've, I've had a, a big part in it. It's been a wonderful journey. Love working for NASM. And I'm so thankful that I get to present uh, this information to you guys today. So what we're going to do today is uh, first, we're going to talk a bit about the history of OPT and where it came from and how it came about. We're going to review OPT and some of the basic uh, elements um, and protocols within OPT, especially if you're not that familiar with OPT. Um, and then we're going to go into how we've actually revised OPT. These revisions will be coming out here um, early next year. And, and we'll go a deep dive actually into the new guidelines for OPT. So then you can use these new guidelines to create exercise programs for your own clients. Um, and I think this is gonna be great. So you can get actually a behind the scenes sort of look at OPT and what we've done and how we're continuously trying to evolve our programming so we can help clients of all different abilities, whether it's elite athletes, or your neighbor down the street just looking to lose a few pounds, OPT actually does provide that uh, exercise programming that's universal for everybody. Um, so a brief history lesson on OPT if you're not familiar. So OPT was originally created by Mike Clark, Dr. Mike Clark. So he was NASM's uh, CEO for many years, one of my mentors. Um, and then he was also the physical therapist for the Phoenix Suns. And I think he did that for 12, 15, 16 years, something around that ballpark. Um, and now he's currently runs a sports medicine group called Fusionetics, 
where they take actually a lot of these still these same principles, but they apply it specifically to elite sports teams uh, and Division One colleges and 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 uh, other arenas such as that, where they actually teach the sports medicine staff. Um, the same training methodologies and corrective exercise that, that we're going to talk about today. So Mike joined NASM in 1999-2000, around that era, and he brought with him OPT. Um, and it's been a program that's been really successful for the 20 plus years that it's been implemented. NASM, we've, uh, we work with some of the best athletes in the world. MLB Cy Young Award winners, All-Stars, Major League Football, Pro Bowlers, uh, MVPs, uh, uh, you name it, every sport, every major sport from football, baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, uh, Olympians, Division I sports, we've trained all of these different types of athletes. And so that's what OPT was originally designed for. Um, but I don't want you to hear from Oh, actually, yeah, we'll go. Let's talk a little bit more history of, of OPT and then I'll actually share a video of, of Mike. So OPT in the late 90s to around 2005, it was a seven phase model. And you can see it here in the illustration. There's three levels, stabilization, strength and power. And that actually hasn't changed, but it was subdivided into seven different phases. So it was quite extensive. Phase one is corrective exercise training. And back then, in the early 2000s, we always used acronyms. We used acronyms for everything. So we called it CET. Phase two was integrated stabilization training, or IST. Phase three is stabilization equivalent training, or SET. Uh, phase four was muscular development training, MDT. Phase five was maximal strength training, or MST. Phase six was elastic equivalent training or EET, and phase seven was maximum power training or MPT. So that sounds like a mouthful, and actually it, it, it is. Um, if you think about each phase, it's basically its own type of workout, not a specific one workout, but they have their own protocols. So each phase will have specific sets and reps and training intensities and repetition tempos and rest periods. and the style is specific for each phase and the appropriate exercise for each phase are also determined in OPT. So I'm not going to be doing extreme power lifting in say corrective exercise training, or I'm not going to be doing um, corrective exercise training as my form of workout if I'm doing uh, maximal strength training. So there was there's specific protocols to follow, but this is the original seven phase model. If you're a recently um, graduated CPT with us, you're probably more familiar with the five, five phase approach. Um, but just know like back in the day, this is what we did. It was seven phases. Um, and eventually phase one was removed from OPT and became its own specialization. So if you're not familiar with corrective exercise, definitely check out our corrective exercise specialist. Um, it's really unique um, and provides a lot of value for you and your clients because everyone suffers from muscle imbalances, uh, limited joint range of motion, uh, poor muscle activation, poor movement patterns, poor posture, and corrective exercise really helps you 
develop a program to help someone overcome a lot of those obstacles. So if they do have poor posture, limited mobility, limited stability, corrective exercise is a really good solution for all of that. Okay, so here we have the seven phases of the OPT model. Um, now, what I wanna do is share with you where Mike was coming from when he created all those seven phases. And you hear in this video that he actually calls them out by the acronym. So he'll say IST or SET, um, cause that's how we used to call it um, back in the early 2000s. Um, just a note, this video was taken in the NASM office with our former sister company, uh, Health and Fitness Provider Network. Uh, which no longer exists. Um, but regardless, you'll be able to hear his thinking and his thought process as he uh, as he developed OPT and the type of environment he was in when he created OPT. So I'm going to go ahead and play that video for you now. OPT or the Optimum Performance Training Methodology 15 years ago uh, in a physical therapy clinic and we had a, we had a non-traditional physical therapy clinic at that point. We had physical therapists, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning specialists, massage therapists, doctors. Uh, we covered professional teams, the collegiate teams, the high school teams and what we felt is that there was a big disconnect between what we could do in physical therapy and what was happening in exercise science and sports science at that time. So when I was developing OPT, I wanted to combine the knowledge of human movement science that physical therapists follow with exercise science that a lot of the traditional strength training was using with sports science, which is what the coaches were using, but put it into one integrated system that worked really on the principles of how the human body works. So we had to take anatomy, biomechanics, kinesiology, exercise science, uh, the understanding of muscle physiology, and, and really try to build a system that could allow athletes to, number one, get their body to work correctly, number two, to improve their performance at the highest possible level. And what we realized, although it was built for athletics, it was incredibly powerful for general clients trying to lose weight, clients trying to just increase the lean muscle mass, uh, look better, feel better. And so we began to create the system around it. And what we also realized, um, in, in, in the mid-90s, we were realizing that you know, the transverse abdominis and multifidus, all that conversation came out, and we were realizing that a lot of athletes had the strength and the power, but they lacked the stabilization. And in physical therapy, that's what we focused on, primarily is stabilization. Focused on isolated neuromuscular control through the whole lumbopelvic area, and what we realized, we had to translate that to athletes, um, so that the system really evolved then into a stabilization, strength, and power system that followed the an undulating periodization model, which periodization obviously was built initially for Olympic trained athletes. And a lot of times it followed their cycles of training and their cycles of competition. So we took the information that it already existed for exercise science and sports science, added the neuromuscular and human movement science to it, and then built the system around it. In our physical therapy clinic, we had obviously elite athletes, high school athletes, but we also had general clients that had back pain. They were sent to us by physicians and you know, foot pain, knee pain, shoulder pain, and they also had fitness goals. They wanted to lose weight, and what they would do is they would see all of our elite athletes in the sports conditioning area in the back of the physical therapy clinic, 
and they would walk back there and they were in they they were watching what was happening and they were watching these athletes using basically dynamic athletic training conditioning movements and a lot of our general clients wanted to move into that and in, immediately they would start losing significant amount of weight because instead of sitting on a machine doing a sagittal plane exercise where they didn't have to stabilize their body they had to get up and they had to control their 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 posture they had to activate their core musculature they had to move in all planes of motion and it was fun it was significantly better than the traditional way they trained they would lose a lot of weight and they'd also transition themselves out of rehab significantly faster um, so not only did it work with the elite athletes we had all of our pro athletes but the general clients with back pain The hardest thing to teach people about the optimum performance training model is that it's not a rigid, linear system. It's laid out that way to generally help people understand what the system is. So if you're coming from human movement science, a lot of the PTs, athletic trainers, chiropractors, they're not going to understand the sports science or the exercise science because that's not how they're trained. If you go with personal trainers and strength coaches, they're typically trained in exercise science and sports science, but not human movement science. So we had to lay it out into a systematic format that explained what is stabilization, what is strength, and what is power. And then ultimately, how do you progress somebody through that process correctly so the body works at an optimal level and you have optimum neuromuscular control and you don't progress somebody too fast trying to just get strength or just get hypertrophy at the, and compromising stability because at the end of the day, you're going to hurt them. And so the biggest misconception right now with individuals who are using OPT is they think they have to go from four weeks of stabilization, four weeks of strength, four weeks of power. You can actually use, and we use all the time, what we call a hybrid model, which is where you use one day of stabilization, one day of strength, and one day of power. So for example, on a Monday, you could do stabilization equivalent training, where you do strength followed by stability. Then on Wednesday, you have a light day, and you could do IST, integrated stabilization training, where you're just doing total body, all planes of motion, stability work. And then on Friday, you could do an EET or an elastic equivalent where you're doing strength followed by power. And so then in that entire week, you have strength, stability, and power in a week, which is hybrid undulating periodization. And so a lot of people get confused that you cannot, that you can't use OPT that way, but that's how we use it. We have to teach it in a general format so everybody can understand it. But if you really stay with it and if you work the system, that's based on principles, it will always work. For any client, with any training style, with any type of equipment, it will always work. A lot of professionals think there are limitations in the OPT model, and really the only limitation in the OPT model is the limitation that you put in front of yourself. So if you truly understand human movement science, exercise science, sports science, and you understand the principles on which the system was built, you can utilize the system for any client with any goal using any training style in any modality or any piece of equipment. And so there, there are no limitations. You can train somebody that just wants to lose weight all the way to the most elite athlete and anybody in between. And whether they want to use TRX, vibration systems, dumbbells, all functional training, all power training, just strength training, or any combination thereof, you can use the system. You can integrate yoga, you can integrate Pilates, you can integrate small group training, and it's because it's a principle-based system that works on how the body works.
Okay, so there we, we got to see Mike um, express where OPT came from, obviously, right? It was created in a non-traditional physical therapy clinic. And in fact, uh, one of the very first clients that <clears throat> underwent OPT training was his, was his wife, um, who was a, an Olympic pole vaulter, and they used OPT to actually train her for the Olympics. Um, and since then, it's been used with countless number of athletes. Obviously, Mike worked exclusively with the Phoenix Suns for a long time as their therapist. So all the Suns have gone through OPT. Um, and so it's been a very good proven system. So what I want to do now is just uh, share where OPT has gone and where OPT um, is, is, is going. So um, hopefully you can see on the slide, um, there we go. Um, so a brief review of OPT. At, in 2005, right, we had that seven phases, or I'm sorry, prior to 2005, we had a seven phase model, right? And we used the unique acronyms, IST, SET, EET, all, all those different acronyms. In 2005, we simplified the nomenclature. Uh, we wanted to make sure that people, when they were learning about OPT, that the nomenclature wasn't what was um, making it difficult for them. We wanted them to understand the principles. So instead of a pyramid, we changed it to a staircase. And we also changed the names of the faces. So it's still broken up into stabilization, strength, and power. Um, we reduced it from seven phases down to five because we took corrective exercise training out and made it its own model. And then the very top of the peak, um, which originally was called elastic, I'm sorry, maximum power training. We took that out of the model and we only teach it in our performance enhancement specialist course where you are training elite athletes because it is a very uh, niche form of training specific for maximal power adaptations, something that a fitness client wouldn't necessarily get into because it is very, very, very specialized. Um, so <clears throat> here we see a five-phase fitness version of OPT. So again, three levels, stabilization, strength, and power. And again, it's divided into five phases. So here are the names of the phases. So again, instead of these uh, acronyms uh, that we've we used in the past, you know, 20 years ago or so, um, we changed it to something that was a little bit easier to understand from a learning perspective. So phase one is stabilization endurance training. So it's, it is exactly what it sounds like. We're gonna work on stabilization and we're gonna work on endurance, aerobic endurance and muscular endurance. And then we're gonna move into strength endurance training. Uh, pretty similar to what it sounds like. Um, and phase two is a unique hybrid um, phase if you're not familiar with it. Uh, phase three is hypertrophy training. So now we're gonna work on hypertrophy of our muscles. Hypertrophy means to grow or to enlarge. So we're working on actually getting bigger and stronger. Uh, maximal strength training now is where I've, we've shifted completely out of stability and now we're focusing 
purely on strength. So maximal strength training would be something uh, uh, like a, a power lifter or a strong man would use where they're really lifting heavy loads to increase their, uh, their force production. Power training, just like what it sounds like. Now, instead of just working on strength abilities, now I'm also working on rate of force production or how quickly can I generate force? And then maximal power training, like I mentioned earlier, uh, is not included in the fitness version of OPT taught in our, our certified personal trainer course, but it is taught in our performance enhancement specialist um, where it's specific and it's, it's, it's niche for uh, athletes who need to express maximal power. So one of the brief um, reviews of OPT that we also have to express, we talked about the categories, right? Stabilization, strength, and power. But we haven't talked about what are the components inside those categories. And so the primary tenant that OPT is based on is integrated training. And so don't confuse integrated training with functional training. Yes, you can use any sort of functional exercise you want in OPT. Um, you know, whether I'm a person that just needs to reach overhead to grab a jar off the top shelf or help my son tie his shoes. Yes, function is always going to be important and function is always addressed. But I'm specifically talking about integrated training. So what integrated training is, is where we combine all forms of exercise into one program. Because I'm sure most of you are familiar with uh, some of the more generic exercise programming out there. You might do some generalized stretching or a cardio warm up. Then you do some strength training and maybe finish with some abs, right? And that's your that's your workout, which is fine. Definitely, someone's going to have improved health markers and and function from that. But there's proven science that an integrated model is more effective. You uh, definitely we would improve more variables than just body composition or aerobic or anaerobic endurance, for example. So an integrated model includes all forms of flexibility training, uh, and we do multiple forms, self-myofascial techniques like foam rolling, uh, static stretching, active stretching, dynamic stretching. And if you've taken any of our advanced courses, we also teach neuromuscular stretching, which is hands-on partner-assisted stretching. Uh, we also integrate cardio training, core training, balance training, plyometric training, uh, speed, agility, quickness training, and resistance training. So all of these forms of, of exercise are actually combined into one workout. So instead of now you're just, you're generalized, do some random stretches, maybe a cardio warm up, do your strength training, finish with a core, and then, and then you're, you're done. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's so much more than that. So we're going to combine all these forms of exercise into one workout. There is flexibility that we can um, include, like say, plyometric and SAQ training on a separate day if you wanted to do that based on the client's or the athlete's training schedule. But ideally, we're going to combine it all into one seamless workout. So phase one, stabilization endurance training, its primary focus is on stability, mobility, and neuromuscular control. So neuromuscular control is my ability to control my body in all planes of motion and at all at various speeds, various velocities um, while maintaining proper posture, right? So um, someone can move in all directions, but if they don't have good core stability or joint stability, 
that increases the risk for injury, like rolling an ankle or hurting their back, whatever the case may be. And of course, phase one also improves muscular and aerobic endurance. So this is our base. This is, this is where uh, someone should start and someone should always return back to when they're in OPT um, to ensure that their body is always functioning 100% at an optimal rate. So phase two is strength endurance training. I mentioned this earlier. It's a bit of a hybrid. Think of it as a bridge between pure stability training and pure strength training or your traditional bodybuilding or hypertrophy type of workouts. So here I'm going to do a more traditional strength exercise, like a bench press, could be a barbell squat or a lunge or a leg press, whatever case may be, a lat pull down, right? I'm doing a more traditional strength-based exercise. And then immediately I'm going to superset it with a stability type of exercise. So maybe I, I superset my bench press with a push-up because a push-up really requires me to maintain my uh, posture while I, while I do the movement or a barbell squat with a single leg squat. So uh, now both adaptations are trained in one superset. So here we have phase three or hypertrophy training. Hypertrophy means to grow or to enlarge. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in this, in this sense, what we're talking about is growing our muscles. So trying to get bigger muscles, stronger muscles. So, and then the nice, also, the nice thing about hypertrophy training that it's also a really effective method for reducing body fat. We all know through a plethora of research that someone who does strength training, they will gain lean muscle mass. Um, they will also reduce body fat. So it's an important phase and something that shouldn't be skipped. Um, and in phase three, we would use the more traditional weightlifting movements that you commonly see in the gym. So the rows, the squats, the, the chest presses, the military presses, all those ty types of exercises are used in phase three um, to reshape our bodies. And then phase four uses those same exercises used in phase three, right? Our traditional strength-based exercises, but the intensity is kicked up a notch. So in phase three, we may have been doing a rep range of six to 12. In phase four, now the load has increased. We're doing maximal strength training. So this is something that a, uh, a power lifter or a strong man, maybe someone who competes in the shot put or uh, a football lineman, they would typically uh, benefit from maximal strength training. So instead of doing a set of 12 repetitions of a chest press, I'm only going to do between one and five, but the load's going to be really, really heavy. So that way I get the adaptation I'm looking for, which is maximal strength. Um, this isn't a phase that's used by all clientele. In fact, I wouldn't recommend it for all clientele. If you have a, uh, a weight loss client, maybe a, an older adult who is more uh, frail or is deconditioned, this isn't the phase for them. But if I'm working with a strength athlete, as I progress them through the model, absolutely, I'm going to use uh, phase four to help them develop maximal strength. And then the last phase is phase five, power training. So the goal of power training is to increase both maximal strength that was developed in the previous phase and increase, <clears throat> excuse me, rate of force production or how quickly can we generate force? Because that's what power is. Power is force times velocity. So in phase five, 
we're going to actually work on both sides of that equation. We're going to uh, perform a heavy loaded exercise, like a, a heavy bench press. And then we're going to superset that with an explosive power exercise for that exact same muscle group, like a plyometric pushup. Or I could do a barbell squat followed by a squat jump or a, a lat pull down followed by a medicine ball soccer throw. So you see how we organize the resistance training portion of the workouts, a heavy loaded exercise followed by an explosive fast exercise because now we're working on both sides of that equation. Force times velocity equals power. So force, the heavy weighted, heavy loaded exercise times velocity or the power explosion exercise equals power. So now I'm, I'm, I'm addressing both sides of that equation, force and velocity, so I can have a maximal increase in power. And this is something that is very popular. Some people call this complex training, others call it contrast training. But the basic premise is I'm going to superset a, a max strength exercise with a power exercise um, to increase my rate of force production. So now that we're all have a general overview of what OPT is and, and where it came from, what I want to do now is share with you where OPT is going. Uh, we had the unique opportunity uh, in the NASM office to work with some amazing individuals to figure out um, what are some of the deficits with OPT, where can we modify and change OPT to improve it, um, especially for the masses. Uh, one of the things that we have found is even though OPT is a systems-based model, it's not a prescriptive-based model, right? So as long as you follow the right system, then any form of exercise can be integrated into it, as Mike Clark said in the video. But um, we have found that many times people interpret OPT as to be very rigid. And that's absolutely not what it is at all. In fact, when someone understands the nuances of OPT, then we can learn how to manipulate OPT really to benefit your client. But in order to improve learning outcomes for our professionals, because we want all our professionals to experience OPT for themselves and for their clients, we've decided to revise OPT um, to improve learning outcomes, to improve the messaging of OPT and the flexibility of OPT. We also wanted to bring in some of the newer science. Uh, we work with a large team of subject matter experts who are at the forefront of research. And so we wanted to bring their research in to update OPT. So <clears throat> the first thing that we did was we gathered a small group of experts. So these were experts in their unique fields. They were all PhDs um, working in exercise science, exercise physiology, uh, and they had their unique perspectives. And anyone who's been in fitness for a long time, you understand that there are many lenses in, in fitness, right? You have your hypertrophy and strength people. You may have your power people. You may have your rehab uh, people. Uh, you may have more of your, your, your fitness or your mind body. And so all of those things can fit into one system as long as we know how to do it in a structured manner. So we gathered people that had expertise in strength and hypertrophy, 
bodybuilding, uh, athletic performance, rehab science. And we had a roundtable um, and we discussed training philosophies and sport, fitness and wellness um, to ensure that OPT was addressing all of the components that are necessary for our population, whether we're training elite athletes, whether we're training an obese client who's looking to lose weight, whether we're training an older adult or a child, um, OPT has to be able to be applicable to all populations. And it was, and it still is, but how can we do a better job of it? So we gathered a team of experts. Um, we sat for several days just talking about how they do it and um, how OPT can be modified or you know, slightly tweaked to ensure that all viewpoints, whether it's mind, body, rehab, strength and hypertrophy, power can be included in OPT. So some of the key outcomes that we found, one, um, an emphasis on ideal movement patterns. This is something NASM has been teaching ever since I've been involved with NASM. I think I, I got certified for the first time in 03. Um, but NASM has always taught ideal movement patterns. And we use something called the five kinetic chain checkpoints. If you're not familiar with that, uh, basically it's looking at posture during someone's movement. So you look at their, their, their feet and ankles, their knees, their lumbopelvic hip complex, or you know, their, their pelvis, their shoulders and their head. And if all these five segments are in alignment, then they're doing the exercise correctly. Right. But we wanted to amp up the communication and the emphasis on ideal movement patterns. Yes, we still teach the five connect chain checkpoints. That's never going to go away because that is ideal, especially when working with clients. If I'm teaching a client how to perform a shoulder press, for example, I want to look at their feet and ankles. I want to look at their knees, their hips, their shoulders and their head because they all have to be in proper alignment in order for them to push the weight overhead safely, right? We don't want them arching their back or their knees collapsing inward or any of these faulty movement patterns. One, it's teaching a bad motor uh, pattern. So they're more likely to do that in the future. And then two, it creates excessive wear and tear on joints. So we always want to make sure they're in ideal posture, but we want to place even more emphasis on ideal movement patterns. And so when I say ideal movement patterns, what I'm talking about is many of the common movement patterns we see and are taught in the gym. So that is your squat, your hip hinge, your push pattern, your pull pattern, your vertical press pattern, and then any multi-planar movement or and rotation. So we really wanted to put an emphasis on instructing ideal movement patterns. That was something that came out of the round table that uh, talking about those movement patterns is going to be essential. The next key outcome was on warm-up protocols. There's a lot of debate in literature about proper warm-up sequencing, uh, particularly around static stretching. And we have some of the top researchers in flexibility that have worked with us to discuss warm-up protocols. So everything that I'm going to share with you is absolutely 100% evidence-based. It's all based on the research, the systematic reviews, the meta-analyses, 
and it's also been applied in real life with actual clients. Um, another key outcome, we wanted to integrate corrective exercise back into OPT. Because if you remember from the earlier slides, phase one in the seven phase model was corrective exercise training. We took it out and made a whole new uh, model around it, our corrective exercise specialists. But we wanted to, since they are now two separate courses, we wanted to share with individuals how corrective exercise training can be integrated into OPT. And so uh, new teaching is, is the result of that. Another key area of OPT um, that, near, that really wasn't addressed in the earlier model was behavior change. Because we all know that in order to maximize someone's adaptations to exercise, they have to adhere to the exercise program. If they don't have adherence and they drop off, then it doesn't matter how good the program is, right? If, if your, our clients don't do it, then they're not going to reap the benefits. So we had to find a way to integrate behavior change uh, techniques into OPT, and, and we did do that. And then the last thing we wanted to do is provide less rigidity and more creative choice within OPT, allow the, the personal trainer, you guys, um, more flexibility to choose with reps and sets and exercise choice, as long as it still fits within the system and the goals and the schedule of the client. So those were our key outcomes that we came out with regarding uh, after finishing this this roundtable discussion, um, which lasted several days with uh, with a lot of key people. So what we did after we left the roundtable and we came out with these key outcomes, we brainstormed again, right? We, uh, a, a fancy word is we ideated, right? Ideation. Um, so we had a group of experts that gave us their opinions. We chat, we talked for extensive amount of time, but that was one group of people. We have, if we're going to do it right, we have to do it again. So we gathered even more experts and we discussed these inclusion, the inclusion of these new ideas into OPT and asked what they thought about that. Um, and <clears throat> between the two groups, we noticed that there was a lot of cohesion. These are topics, these are elements in OPT that everyone agreed upon. Like, yes, you should include these different things. And so we created a beta test model. And in order to do the beta test, we actually went out to NASM master trainers, NASM master instructors who uh, teach our workshops. These are the best of the best. And we created a beta test. We like, here's our version of what new OPT could look like. We want you to try it out with your clients because there's never, we're never going to teach anything unless it's been tried and true. So they, we actually ran through a 12 week beta test with OPT. I think it was 12, might've been 16. It's been a while, um, where we measured, um, progress with the new OPT model. So with the field testing, again, it was um, conducted by NASM master instructors and a few master trainers. Um, and we evaluated both the, the quantitative and qualitative results um, that they got from training their clients with the new OPT model. 
Um, and the nice thing about it is that when it was done and we gathered all that data, there was favorable results. So we had a, a really good firm idea of what we were doing is now on the right track, right? We met with a group of experts. We hashed it out and figured out what were our, our, our important outcomes. Then we met with another group of experts. They agreed with those outcomes and then we tested those outcomes and it all came back favorably. And if it didn't, we would have gone back to the drawing board. We got pretty lucky, um, but I think it's honestly, it's a testament to the people that were bringing advice into NASM about OPT. These were all experts in programming. Um, yeah, different uh, in, in different areas. Again, right? We had our Olympic lifters. We had our strength and hypertrophy people. We had our mind and body people. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the outcomes are the outcomes. And so it worked out really well for us. So a, a decision was made. We were going to revise OPT with the, the five outcomes that were originally determined. We're going to place more of an emphasis on ideal movement patterns. So again, that's your squat, your hip hinge, your, your push, your pull, your vertical press, and then rotational multiplanar movement. We're going to integrate new warm-up protocols based on the latest and greatest research. We're going to integrate corrective exercise back into OPT. We're going to integrate behavior change techniques to help clients adhere to the exercise program. And we want to provide less rigidity and more creative choice for the fitness professionals who are implementing OPT for their clients. And so this was a big step for us because if you remember back to the earlier slides, we hadn't updated OPT since 2005. Uh, so we went from the late 90s to 2005 with one model and then from 2005 to present with a, a, a new version of it. And now we're just continually updating it. And who knows, in five, 10 years from now, we may update it again because it shouldn't be static. It should always be based on the latest and greatest evidence out there. And as new trends emerge, as new science emerge, as our world becomes different, as in like COVID-19, and now we're training virtually, we may have to integrate even more things into OPT. But as for right now, I'm really happy with the version that was created. Again, it wasn't created in a silo. It wasn't created by one person. It was created by a group of experts all coming together to do this. <clears throat> Excuse me, take a sip. So one of the things that we did do for OPT is um, we changed the name of one of the phases. So phase three went back to muscular development training. And uh, you see that here highlighted in green. And the reason we did that originally was called hypertrophy training. Some people don't know what hypertrophy means or hypertrophy also has uh, multiple connotations, right? I could talk about muscular hypertrophy, right? And getting bigger biceps, but you can have hypertrophy of the heart, for example, where the heart enlarges. So we felt like it was going to be a better idea to actually change the name of phase three back to muscular development training. We're not going to use the acronym MDT, like the acronyms we used back in the early 2000s, but we wanted it to be more representative of what this phase of training actually is. 
because it's a very popular phase. And one of the other things that we wanted to make sure that we, uh, we discuss when teaching OPT is for phase three, it's not just bodybuilding, right? It's not just your traditional six to 12 reps um, and you know two to four sets, um, but you can do multiple styles within phase three. So if I wanna do bodybuilding, great. Um, but if I wanna do HIT or circuit training or Tabata or any of these other type of workouts that are very, very popular, I can, I can do that style of workout in phase three because the guidelines are um, broad enough where I can manipulate rest periods, I can manipulate the other acute variables to follow a HIT program or a Tabata program, or if I wanna do a, a bodybuilding program, because it's really about the exercise selection in phase three. I'm not doing a lot of stability work. I'm not doing the uh, single leg squats, single leg Romanian deadlifts, um, you know, single leg, one arm overhead presses. I'm doing more traditional strength-based movements like your lat pull downs, your chest presses, your bicep curls, your, your, uh, your shoulder lateral raises, those type of exercises in phase three. So one of the things that we had to change based on our new guidelines and five protocols is the template for OPT. So here we see the new template. It's broken up into a few different sections, warm-up, activation, which includes core and balance exercises, skill development, which also includes plyometric and SAQ training, resistance training, client's choice, and cool down. So recall earlier in the presentation, I mentioned that OPT is an integrated system, right? We include all forms of exercise into one workout. So here we, here we see actually in effect on a template. So the warm-up will include multiple types of flexibility work, your self-myofascial techniques like foam rolling, static stretching, or active dynamic stretching, um, you can, and or cardio um, will be included in that. Then the activation, activation section would include core and balance exercises to activate the core, activate the hips, um, this is one area that people often get confused about. They think, well, why are you doing core exercises so early on in the workout? Aren't you gonna be working with a naked spine? That, no, that's not true because the volume of exercise is actually really low. What we're doing is we're activating the muscles that support and stabilize the spine. We're not fatiguing them. It's just like doing a dynamic warm-up, right? If I do a dynamic warm-up, I'm not taking my dynamic warm-up to an intense level where I'm actually tired and fatigued before I go strength training or do my cardio workout. It's, it's, it's a warm-up. Same thing with activation. It's a continuation of the warm-up we did. So in the warm-up, we're doing stretching and some cardio. Now we're continuously to activate. So we're going to activate underactive muscles that were determined uh, during the assessment process. So these are simple exercises, uh, you know, a floor ball bridge, maybe a bird dog or a plank, a pal-off press, uh, maybe some simple balance, balance exercises like a single leg balance reach or uh, a single leg throw and catch with a medicine ball. So we're really just activating and we're preparing our muscles, our tendons, our ligaments. We're in, increasing circulation. We're preparing the body for more activity. 
But here's how we integrate a corrective exercise. We call the activation for a specific reason. If someone has our corrective exercise specialist <clears throat> and is familiar with the additional activation exercises that we teach in CES, that can be inserted in here. It doesn't have to be core imbalance if you're familiar with the isolated strength training movements that we talk about in CES, those activation exercises can be included into the OPT workout. Then we move on to skill development. So for skill development, for many individuals, this will be plyometric and SAQ training. Um, if they are severely deconditioned, frail, they have comorbidities, then the section can be skipped if it's not in their best interest and their health doesn't warrant it. Um, for apparently healthy individuals, a few plyometric and a few SAQ exercises um, are a great complement to the overall workout. So this could be a set of squat jumps, maybe a squat jump with stabilization where you actually hold the landing position. And we call it skill development because we're actually going to teach them how to jump and land and decelerate properly, right? So they're, they're learning how to land um, or SAQ, they're learning how to change direction with optimum posture. But if someone's not gonna program plyometric or SAQ training and they wanna focus on a different aspect, maybe it's a someone who's really interested in weight, Olympic weightlifting. Well, instead of doing plyometric and SAQ, they can grab a dowel rod and practice um, the intricacies of Olympic weightlifting in the skill development. Or for a very brand new client who's never been to the gym, they don't even know, they've never touched a dumbbell in their life, maybe the skill development is I'm going to teach them real basic movement patterns or uh, how to use the exercise equipment because they've never done that before. And that's their new skill. So really it's, it's always dictated on the client and where they're at. We want to meet them where they're at. Then resistance training. The next section is something new we've never had before. It's called client's choice. And uh, one of one of the subject matter experts that we work with, she had a great ex expression for this. She's like, I call this the, the dessert exercise. I wanna give clients an exercise that they enjoy. So they get to choose one or two exercises that they like to do. So maybe uh, someone wants to do some bicep curls. Maybe someone wants to do some ab crunches. Maybe someone wants to jump rope. Whatever, whatever those exercises are, as long as they're safe, um, then go ahead and let them choose an exercise. This is going to bring about that behavior change that we were talking about earlier. We want them to adhere to the program. And one of the ways to adhere to a program is enjoyment. So client choice is uh, an element we added into the model. And then we'll finish with the cool down. So here we say here we see what phase one looks like. Um, we're going to start with the warm up. It's going to be self myofascial techniques and static stretching, like it was in the previous model, uh, with optional cardio and dynamic stretching. In the original phase uh, or the original model, we did not include dynamic stretching in phase one, uh, but we know through all the latest and greatest research that dynamic stretching, when integrated properly, can help increase uh, neuromuscular activation and um, reduce the effects of static stretching as far as impairing strength and power. So if someone does some foam rolling, some static stretching for the overactive muscles they identified, and then they follow up with some cardio or dynamic stretching, there's no impairment in muscular activation and power. There's none, and the research is definitive on that. 
Yes, if someone only static stretches acutely every now and again, holds the stretches for typically two minutes or longer, there will be a decrease in strength or power. And the time is, it varies depending on the research study. Some say 10 minutes, some say up to an hour or two. It varies, but we do know there is a decrease in strength and power if someone acutely static stretches a muscle and holds the, that stretch for a prolonged period of time. But with our protocol, you would foam roll, which ha has no uh, negative impact on strength and power. Then you'd static stretch. And research clearly shows that when you combine the two, someone will receive greater range of motion benefits than doing one or the other. And then you'll follow that up with either cardio or dynamic stretching. And now that person is completely ready for their workout with no impairments in strength and power. Then they will follow it up with activation. So there'll be low intensity core and balance exercises, some skill development, whether it's learning new exercises, learning new equipment, or they could do some plyometric and SAQ exercises. Followed up with some resistance training exercises where we're gonna focus on primary movement patterns before we progress to increasing proprioceptive demand. So again, if I have a brand new client, I'm gonna work on the push, the pull, the squat, the hinge, the press, the rotations. We're gonna, I'm gonna really fine tune all those movement patterns before I start loading them. And once they clearly show competency in those movement patterns, then I can progress the exercises to be more proprioceptive or a little bit more unstable. So they work on stability and muscular endurance because that's what phase one is all about. It's all about stability and muscular endurance. Then they would do client's choice, a few exercises of their own choosing as long as they're safe. And then we'll finish with cool down, which is optional cardio, some more foam rolling and static stretching for those muscles so they can reset their length tension relationships, um, improve blood circulation so blood doesn't uh, pool in the lower extremities. Okay. So here, I know this is a lot on the screen, um, but I highlighted some of the major differences in phase one from the original model. So we included dynamic straight stretching as an optional component in the warmup. They could just do cardio if that's what the person chooses. Um, because phase one doesn't include really heavy loads or explosive movements, the, uh, the impact of static stretching on strength and power is gonna be negligible for phase one, but if someone wants to do some dynamic stretching, um, which I always recommend actually, like things like lateral tube walking um, or rotator cuff exercises, those, those type of dynamic movements um, are, are really good exercises to prepare the body. And so now that's included. Um, in resistance training, uh, we provided wider bumper rails. If you think about a bowling analogy, our bumper rails just got a little bit wider. Um, Typically, we would always choose between 12 to 20 reps because we're working on muscular endurance and stability, which requires a high rep count. But if someone is very deconditioned, maybe they're frail, uh, maybe they have comorbidities, uh, the rep range can be altered based on that person's needs. So if they can only do eight repetitions successfully, then, then do eight repetitions. So we put that into the model. And then, of course, the client's choice. We're allowing them to have a couple dessert exercises to make it more fun for them. Phase two, um, again, similar guidelines to phase one, self-myofascial techniques, active stretching this time instead of dynamic stretching. So we're progressing our flexibility techniques, but that's the same as in the older model. And then optional cardio and dynamic stretching for the same reasons I mentioned earlier. 
Um, we're going to do now moderately intense core imbalance exercises. So these exercises have progressed a little bit in intensity. Um, again, so not to fatigue the client, but maybe in phase one, I was doing a bird dog exercise. In phase two, I might progress that to like maybe cable rotations or cable lifts and chops. So it's a little bit more dynamic movement. Uh, same thing with balance exercises. We're going to add a little bit more dynamic movement into the balance exercises. So maybe in phase one, I was just standing on one foot or maybe doing a single leg balance reach. In phase two, now maybe I progress to a, a single leg Romanian deadlift, something along those lines. We'll still do uh, skill development, uh, which can either be plyometric and SAQ training, but the exercises are a little bit more advanced or they could work on new moves, new skills. Like maybe they want to learn kettlebells. They've never worked with kettlebells before. Maybe they want to do something MMA inspired like boxing and kicking a bag. So we'll teach those new moves. Um, and then resistance training is going to be still specific to phase two as it's always been. We're going to do a strength exercise followed by a stability exercise for the same muscle group. It's very similar to our power phase where we do complex training that I talked about earlier. But this time we're going to focus on a strength movement like a bench press followed by a push-up or a uh, lap pull-down followed by a single leg lap pull-down, whatever the case may be, but strength followed by stability. Then we'll do some client's choice and then we'll finish with the, the same cool-down as in phase one. And many people skip the cool down. Please don't skip the cool down with your clients. It's really important for them to reset their muscles back to the ideal optimal length tension relationships. So don't skip that cool down with them. Um, and we found that static stretching and uh, self-myofascial techniques when combined provides the best benefit for them. So here we see some of the new uh, updates for phase two, again, uh, it's mostly revolves around the warm up. So dynamic stretching is now can be included into a phase two warm up, and it should. Um, oh, another thing you'll see here is the intensity of we changed it from a percentage to a, a number based system just so it's easier to understand. So if someone's learning this for the first time. Uh, Normally, it would show something like 70 to 80 percent intensity, which means 70 to 80 percent of someone's one RM. That's really hard to imagine, in, 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 at least in my brain. So what we decided to do is uh, change it to an 8 to 12 repetition maximum because that's what the rep range is, right? We're, I'm going to do 8 to 12 reps of a strength exercise followed by 8 to 12 reps of a stability exercise. So my intensity is 8 to 12 RM. It's just easier to understand. And then of course we, we added in the client's choice for phase two as well. So I, hopefully you're seeing a common theme here. The model wasn't changed drastically, but we've added in some little nuggets to really make it more flexible um, and to reflect the latest in, in science and trends in the industry. Phase three, muscular development training. So if you recall, Originally, it was called hypertrophy training. We changed the name, so it's now muscular development training. The warm-up, the activation, the skill development is all the same from phase two to phase three to phase four. That doesn't change. So warm-up is foam rolling, active stretching, and optional cardio and dynamic stretching. Activation is the same, right? We can do some moderate intensity core imbalance exercises. Uh, we'll do some skill development, whether that's plyometric and SAQ training, 
or something else based on the, the fitness professional's discretion, right? Kettlebells, MMA inspired um, exercises, maybe it's learning Olympic lifts, maybe it's learning something new like a strongman thing, like uh, lifting logs, whatever the case may be, sledgehammer with a, a tire. Um, but that's up to the fitness professional's discretion as long as it fits the guidelines. Resistance training is going to focus on um, strength training exercises with lots of volume. Obviously, the goal of muscular development training is still hypertrophy, right? Or even better yet, it's reshaping, right? We want to increase lean muscle mass. We want to burn excess body fat, or at least most of us do. Um, and so muscular development training is a, a great type of workout to do that. We just recommend that someone has ample stability first before they try this, this um, workout. If they do, then they can jump right in. They can go right into undulating periodization. If they don't, make sure they understand how to move properly. Make sure they, they have proper movement patterns. They have good range of motion within their joints and they have good joint stability before you progress to something as intense as, as this style of workout. So here we see some of the uh, updates. Um, again, dynamic stretchings have been included into the warm-up. We also updated some of the acute variables for resistance training. There's been a ton of research uh, about acute variables and uh, resistance training for maximal hypertrophy. And so what we found is <clears throat> originally the sets were three to five sets. Actually, research is showing six sets or even more can increase muscular hypertrophy. So we expanded the set range to three to six. Um, it's a six to 12 RM, but there's a lot of research and act, actually Brad Schoenfeld, uh, he has some really good research out there showing that even high repetition schemes can result in muscular hypertrophy. So if the client and the fitness professional determine that it's in the client's best interest to use a higher repetition scheme, maybe because they also require more muscular endurance, well then, those bumper rails just got wider for that, that, that bullying analogy that I was talking about. So if they wanted to do between 12 to 20 reps for this uh, phase of training, they, you can. Um, I mean, it's still 12 to, I'm sorry, uh, six to 12, is still typical for hypertrophy style, bodybuilding style of workouts, but if someone really wants to increase their muscular endurance, the repetition scheme can be tweaked um, based on what they want. And then, of course, the client's uh, choice exercises, like all the other phases, we've integrated that in here. So if someone really wants to work on getting bigger biceps and today was leg day and they just want to do some bicep curls, throw it in, make them happy. Um, or if they want to really work on their abdominals and they want to do some crunches, you know, as long as it's a safe exercise and it's performed correctly, go ahead and throw it in there and make them happy. Um, I know I like to do um, some dessert exercises from time to time as well. I'm sure many of us do. So there's no harm in it, right? As long as it's performed safely and we factor in total volumes to make sure that they're not overtraining, there's no problem throwing in some dessert exercises. <clears throat> Excuse me. So phase four is now is maximal strength training. So we haven't changed the name. Um, and the warm-up activation and skill development is still the same as phases three and two, 
right? We're in the strength level of the OPT model. So the warm-up activation and skill development is still all the same. Uh, and then we're gonna, in the resistance training portion of the workout, we're gonna focus on heavy loads, right? This is for maximal strength. I'm trying to get as strong as I possibly can. Uh, this is for individuals, strength athletes, um, Olympic weightlifters, power lifters. They all benefit from this form of training. And then there are just some people who really like to work out this way. It's not a problem as long as they have the fitness foundation to perform this intensive a workout. There's no problem. You can integrate maximal strength training into their workout if they really enjoy it. Just make sure they have the stability, the mobility, um, and all the functional movement patterns needed to perform these exercises safely. If they don't, work them up to it. Okay, and then the cool down is the same as all the other phases in the OPT model. So here are some of the uh, updates to phase four. Again, dynamic stretching has been included into the warm-up. Um, we updated the intensity to just one to five RM rather than showing 85 to 100% in uh, of one RM because no one really understands what that means. It, it, basically, you're doing one to five reps. You're doing really heavy loads. Um, and then we updated the number of sets. So four to six sets is typical for a maximal strength workout. But if you have a really advanced client um, and they require more sets, we, we widen the bumper rails again. So you can include more sets than six if they are a really advanced client that requires that. Just be very careful to monitor overtraining. We don't want the athlete or the client to break down, but if um, they require more than six sets, then, then the bumper rails have been widened to allow for that to happen. And then of course, client choice. Um, so if they do have some exercises that they wanna include into the program, as long as they're safe and volumes accounted for, go ahead and let them, uh, uh, choose a couple exercises that they like. <clears throat> and then phase five. So phase five is um, power training. So the warm-up will be self-myofascial techniques and dynamic stretching this time. So we've now removed static and active stretching from the equation. They're going from foam rolling right to dynamic stretching to prepare them for an intense workout. Uh, the activation is still some moderately intense uh, core and balance exercises, or we can do some power-based um, activation exercises as well. Um, skill development will be SAQ exercises um, and um, plyometric exercises, or some type of new skill, right? If I'm teaching Olympic weightlifting, I can continuously refine that skill. Um, if I'm teaching something MMA-inspired, I can perform those skill-based movements in, in this part of the workout, or I can stick with plyometric and SAQ exercises. Um, and it says here, moderately intense. Typically, it will we, we use more power-based um, activation and skill development than moderately intense, but it, you have the choice. Um, the resistance portion of the workout will be a strength-based 
exercise followed by a power-based exercise. This is that contrast or complex training that we were talking about earlier. So your heavy squat followed by your squat jump, your bench press followed by your plyometric push-up, your um, barbell row followed by a medicine ball soccer throw. You know, so this complex training, this is what we're doing in this phase. And then the, the cool down will continue with optional cardio, some foam rolling and static stretching. So here we see the updates to phase five. Not much changed really, except for the client choice. Everything else is, is pretty much standard because um, phase five, based on all of our research and meeting with the focus groups, uh, really did hit the mark. Uh, not many people train in this style, but if you have an uh, elite athlete or even just uh, an athlete in general that requires the expression of force, uh, and power, this is a really good training style for them to follow. If they are at an advanced athlete or an advanced client, maybe they're really in shape um, and they display adequate movement patterns, joint stability, range of motion, endurance, and have a basic foundation of strength, then we can immediately include undulated periodization. So uh, maybe Monday, it's a strength-based workout, uh, Wednesday, it's a stability-based workout, and Friday, it's a power-based workout. We can do that. Um, and this form of training is, uh, is actually a lot of fun, too, for people. Throwing medicine balls around and doing explosive ballistic movements uh, can be a lot of fun. Um, and so not only does it improve athleticism, it can also change uh, body shape, reduce um, body fat, increase lean muscle mass. So this is an option for your more advanced clients. So in summary, what, we're, what we looked at today, right? OPT was developed by Mike Clark in the late 90s. Um, he's worked with some of the best athletes and NASM in general. We've worked with some of the best athletes in the world from Olympians to professional athletes in all major sports to collegiate athletes. Uh, then in 2005, we updated the model from seven phases down to five, <clears throat> excuse me, and we changed the nomenclature so it was a bit easier to understand, but it's still a systems-based model. None of that changed. And then we talked about our revision process, right? We brought in um, lots of experts from different fields, and we had a massive roundtable for several days to talk about OPT. Came out with some five, five outcomes, and then went ahead, talked to another group of experts about it, executed those outcomes, with the beta test and found that everyone received favorable results with it. And so based on that whole process, which took a really long time, um, we decided to now update OPT model with the latest and greatest science and behavior change techniques. So the, uh, the new guidelines now emphasize ideal movement patterns. So your squat, your hinge, your push, your press, um, your pull, and multiplanar movement. New warm-up protocols, right? We added dynamic stretching as an option in every phase of the OBT model, which I think is important. Um, in fact, when training a lot of the athletes at NESM, typically lateral tube walking and some of these other dynamic movements are almost always included in a, in a warm-up. You know, of course, that's followed by or preceded by um, foam rolling and, and, and stretching. 
we integrated corrective exercise by changing the template itself. So now we're calling it activation and skill development. So if anyone is familiar with the CES and the protocols in our corrective exercise specialists, and you want to integrate them into OPT, you now have the power to do so. It's pretty self-explanatory with the template. Um, we added behavior change techniques. So with that client's choice, now they're given a dessert exercise that will increase adherence to the program, make them wanting to come back for more. Um, and without adherence, we're all out of a job. So we want to make sure that we're providing the very best experience for our clients. So adding a dessert exercise for the client is really impactful uh, for their psyche and making them want to adhere to the program. And then we also offered a little bit less rigidity and more creative choice. Uh, for example, in phase three muscular development training, instead of having to stick to just 12 to 20, I'm sorry, six to 12 reps, if someone requires more muscular endurance, then you can program a little a higher repetition scheme for that person because they're still going to develop hypertrophy. That's what the science says. Uh, if they want to work on new skills that uh, weren't included in OPT, you know, uh, boxing or kickboxing or strongman style lifts, maybe it's yoga, Pilates, and they want to do some of those moves in the program. Now you have the flexibility to integrate those exercises in OPT. Just make sure you follow the system. Uh, make sure that volume, intensity are all accounted for so overtraining doesn't happen. And as long as you follow the system, all the ingredients that we put in there will work just fine. So here's my email, Sutton at nesm.org, and my phone number, it's my office line. So if you have any questions about OPT, you want to get in contact with me, uh, please let me know. It's been a real pleasure presenting uh, the new Optimum Performance Training Model to you. I can't wait to share the model with you guys uh, when it actually comes out in our full curriculum. I can't share you what that's going to be because we're still developing it. Um, and if I give you a, a, a date now, then I'm stuck to it. And so, but just know that um, our new curriculums will be including this new OPT model. And I just wanted to give you a sneak peek on how we came about and why we changed OPT to make it better for, for all of you involved. And I hope, hope you can use OPT now for your clients and yourselves to see tremendous results. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in the future and thank you very much. Take care.